Welcome to the Reach Podcast with your pastor, Philip Jackson. Welcome to 2023, everyone. You made it. You made it. You're still alive. Congratulations. Um, Tonight, we're going to talk about uh, the theme for the year. We're going to talk about the theme for 2023 and um, where we're heading. So if you have been with Reach for any any length of time, you know that we've done a series of of different focuses every year. Uh, Our our practice is that usually we will, I will pray for this for several months coming up to the, the first of the year. And um, I ask God a question. I ask him, um, what do you want us to marinate in for a year? And we have done the year of unity. We've done the year of, of um, transformation. That was a wild year. That was 2020. I think we've all changed a little bit since 2020. Um, last year was the year of the servant, and uh, we did a number of things. We served our student ministry during the weekend by hosting small groups and leading small groups uh, last February. Some of you served on the mission field in New Orleans over spring break. Uh, Some of you, some of the guys went to Man Venture in April of this last year. That's coming up again where all of our men from Evergreen, from every generation, come together. We washed cars for our widows and our seniors, and we served over the summer at Super Summer Falls Creek. And many of us went to Camp Barnabas. We learned some really, really, really hard lessons about loving people that um, don't get enough attention. And some of you have served regularly and sacrificially in student ministry, in preschool ministry, and in children's ministry. One of the things that I love about this community is that we are, we are known for our service. We're known for actually taking part in what God's doing in the church. And in a generation that looks at Gen Z and millennials as whiners, as snowflakes, as weak, as non-contributors, I am very, very honored and privileged to be your pastor and to be able to be known as the reach guy. And it's not because of anything that I have done. It's because of everything that you have done in your faithfulness as you followed the Lord. And it's sweet to be able to, to be a pastor of a group of people who see how they fit into the body of Christ. You see, I believe with all of my heart, the young adults, this generation, that God has has placed us in this moment in history on purpose, for a purpose, to not just be driven by hype and by emotion and by by all of the lights and everything that's fancy. You guys ask hard questions about hard things. You want to know hard truth. And that's challenging. Because you have been micro-targeted and fed and advertised to all of your lives. You've been um, shown just how scary the world is. And you're not, conf- you're not content with the answer because I said so. I love that. Because we need to be fundamentally seekers of truth. And so this year is going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge for you and it's going to be a challenge for me. Because this year, 2023, is the year of community for us. Now, community is a buzzword in young adult ministry. If you have been anywhere around young adult ministries for any amount of time, you know that community is the big word. Community, community, community. Where do you want to go? I want to go where there's community. Oh, I can't go there anymore because I don't feel like I have community. But I, I sat with a, a young adult pastor a few years ago. He, uh, he leads a group of, of young people like, like us in Colorado Springs. And he said something that really challenged me. He said that community is actually, in many respects, an idol in young adult ministry. Because we we want to have a a large gathering of people. We want to be like we, we want to feel like we belong to a tribe. But the challenge is that if we build that on just having a group of people, a squad, and we don't build it around biblical truth, what happens is that we have built on a shaky foundation. 
So what happens? We get together and we share life with one another. We might study God's word, but if we're not studying uh, the biblical truth, we're not building our community on biblical truth, what happens is that inevitably our humanity comes out. Our sinfulness comes out. And all of a sudden, somebody has a problem with somebody. Rumors are swirling around and we're talking about who has done what and who did what to who and who's saying what about who. Never mind the biblical mandate to know how to lovingly confront someone biblically, how to live by what, we, what is true and not what we feel. And the community is in jeopardy because we haven't done the heart work of putting and resting our lives on the truth of God's word. One of the things that's interesting, Taylor and I were talking about this just the other day, that God has been giving us themes for the year, and inevitably, there's a hidden theme. So last year was the year of the servant, and I realized halfway through the year that it really was the year of the leader. And what's interesting is that God has has allowed us to be able to lead people by how we serve. Jesus said, the greatest of of you will be the servant. If you remember John the Baptist's ministry, he was growing in popularity. He was was, uh, seeing thousands of people come to listen to his sermons. And then when Jesus came on the scene, they began to leave him. And his disciples got really upset. They said, Master, Master, Rabbi, they're leaving us for him. And what was his response? I must decrease so that he can increase. That is the vision of a servant. God, I don't want anybody to see me. I want them to see you. Well, the same thing is true here. The year of community, we are going to see things grow. We're going to see our community grow. We're going to have new people come in. We're going to try to love them and accept them and, and, and challenge them in their faith. But this year is going to be the year of the builder. Many times we think about community, we want it, but we don't know actually what it is. That's what we're going to look at tonight. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Now, if you you are unfamiliar with the book of Ephesians, Ephesus was a a coastal city off of the Mediterranean Ocean, and... uh, Paul did a number of a bunch of ministry there. He lived there for a number of years and founded the. He didn't found the church. One of his his friends, Apollos, founded the church. But Paul spent a lot of time there. It's the final place where the the apostle John actually spent the last days of his life. He was exiled on a little island off the coast of Ephesus named Patmos, where he wrote his gospels and um, and the Revelation. But the Ephesian church was up against some interesting obstacles. So one of the things that was unique about Ephesus was that it was the home of one of the most famous, uh, famous buildings, one of the f- most famous icons of the ancient world. It was the, the temple to the goddess Artemis. Uh, you might know her by her Roman name, Diana, Wonder Woman. And Diana, it was rumored that Ephesus was founded by the Amazons, that it was, it was a strong, uh, strong cultural center. The, the temple to Diana was the largest bank in the Roman Empire at the time, at this season of, life, of, season, of season of history. So there's a, there, there was this clash of all these different cultures. And so what ends up happening is that you have believers trying to figure out what it looks like to live godly in an extremely pagan environment. And so Paul goes through and he describes what it means to live a godly life in a godly community in the context of a pagan culture. And one of the things that he, that he talks about in the first several chapters is he talks about the importance of, of knowing who we were when we didn't know God and who we, who we were before we knew Jesus and who we have now become. That we are no longer dead in our trespasses and sins. That is completely inanimate. God has not come to make sick people well. He's come to make dead people alive. And so one of the points that Paul makes in the early parts of Ephesians is that you were dead before you knew Jesus. Completely dead. Lifeless. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in the first part of of Ephesians chapter 2. And what he means is we are naturally pulled away from a path of righteousness towards our own self-destruction. 
And so in the last several verses of Ephesians chapter 2, he goes through and he describes what a godly community looks like, what our purpose is. For the sake of context, I'm going to start in verse 11 to read, but we're going to focus primarily on verses 19 through 22 tonight. So Paul's speaking about who we were uh, in our conversion. Beginning in verse 11, he says this. He says, Therefore, remember that, that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles here. Verse 11, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time without Christ, alienated from the citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups one and broke down the dividing wall of the partition by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, that he's talking about the war against heaven, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might create the two into one new man, making peace. He's talking about reconciliation between people. He goes, he goes on in verse 16, he says, And might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, having in himself put to death the enmity. And he came and preached the good news of peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Verse 19, here's our text. So then you are no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together is growing into a holy sanctuary in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. We're going to start here in verse 19 where he talks about uh, the security and the purpose of of the godly community. He begins by saying, because of the work of Christ, all of his children are no longer strangers or sojourners, but fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. So what does that mean? The words that he talks about here, stranger, this can also be translated as foreigner or alien, someone who doesn't belong where they live. A sojourner is someone who lives in a place without the right of citizenship. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that Christ changed us changed us so that we were completely disconnected from his system, from his kingdom. Before we knew Christ, we had no access to God. We had no access to real community. You see, we use this term a lot, lost, right? Have you ever thought about what that means? Biblically, what that means is that before we knew God, we had no community. We were lost. We make, the, we make the wrong assumption in our ignorance that there's a difference between good community and bad community. But biblically, we need to understand that there is only one community, and that is the community of faith in the kingdom of God. You see, what, what, what happens here, according to Scripture, is that before we knew Christ, before we had a relationship with God, we were lost over here by ourselves. In fact, that's why we use that word, lost. We were scattered. Every single person with no purpose, alone. Yes, you've been, you were related to people biologically. Yes, you might have had acquaintances. But there is no community outside of Christ. And so what, he, what, what the Bible teaches us is that once we have been saved, God gathers us together into a community of believers. Have you ever met those people that are obsessed with church? That they, ha- they can't take a long vacation. They've got to get back to be at church. They hate missing church. They hate missing their Bible study. They hate missing their people. First John tells us that that's one of the signs that we know that we are God's children is that we have a deep love for his family. You know, one of the things that is profound to me as I have, have we've been at Evergreen for seven years now, is that I love being with you people. Brittany was teasing me earlier. I was, so, I was so jacked to get just to see you guys tonight. I mean, I was all but doing like backflips. backflips. I would hurt myself if I tried. But I was so pumped to see all of you guys tonight. I feel the same way on Sunday morning. I feel the same way about life group on Sunday night. I love to be with my people. You see, before we knew Christ, we didn't have access to that kind of community. And you know, the challenge is that a lot of times we, we spend our time on the periphery 
saying, oh, I want that, I want that, but you know what's missing? It's an obedient spirit. It's going to conform itself to what God's Word says. See, we were without community, without Christ. But praise God that we are no longer this way. He says that we are fellow citizens with the saints. In other words, he says we've been granted something that can never be taken away. He says you're sojourners and strangers. You're aliens. You're foreigners. You are non-citizens here on earth. Because our citizenship is elsewhere. In the first century, the most valuable thing that you could be was a Roman citizen. The reason why is because the Roman Empire, uh, because of its authority, if you were a Roman citizen, you had certain privileges that other people did not. If you got in trouble with the law, you could appeal straight to Caesar. No one could punish you without a criminal conviction in a court. It's kind of hard for us to, to look at that in our modern-day 21st century mindset. This was a big deal. So when Paul's talking about you don't have citizenship here, you got citizenship in heaven, he is calling their eyes to heaven. They are untouchable from the law. Paul's using imagery here to paint a picture of what it means to be a child of God. We're not just simply minions doing work. We are part of something much greater than ourselves. And as in every society, we have responsibilities. So if we are a citizen of heaven, think about what, this, what the implications are. We have a responsibility to contribute to the process of setting boundaries for the community by being part of the lawmaking process. We do that by being a part of the, legisl- the legislative process here in, here in America. We have a responsibility as citizens of America to help cultivate the boundaries of our community. We have the same responsibility as the people of God. Guess what? You don't get to live your life by yourself without any consequences. God's Word tells us that accountability is a thing. Accountability is a thing because we understand the fundamental principle that we are all being drawn away by our lust and enticed by sin. So if I let you wander away and I don't confront you about your sinfulness, guess what? It's like watching somebody walk towards a cliff unchallenged, and I let people go and and they step off the cliff. That is a genuine act of rebelliousness and hate. Because if I love you, I will say, hey, come back over here. Come back over here. Don't drink that poison. We have a responsibility to help cultivate the boundaries of our community. Also, we have the responsibility to protect the social integrity of our community by respecting those boundaries and submitting to the authority of what God, what, what the community has decided. You know, there's, this, there, there's a group of people in America, they call themselves sovereigns. They don't believe that they are uh, subject to any of the laws that we've written. Because of the, con- the U.S. Constitution, they believe that they are exempt they don't have driver's licenses. They don't get insurance. They don't, uh, they don't wear their seatbelt. They speed. They double park. They make U-turns when it's illegal. Yeah, the laws. No, absolutely not. But you know the same thing is true. We, we act that same way in God's kingdom. We say, you know what? Well, yeah, we're not supposed to do, yeah, we're not supposed to do those things, but you know, I'm, I'm different. Me and some of the guys were talking today that we talk about struggling with things. Struggling implies that I'm actually working against myself, that I'm actually resisting my sin. If I'm not resisting my sin, I'm not struggling. I'm just sinning. You can't struggle with pornography and not be fighting pornography. You can't be struggling with drinking and just drinking. You can't be struggling with sex and just having sex. Struggling implies that we are actually working against these harmful parts of our life. We also have a responsibility as a citizen of America to contribute to the, uh, the, finan- the financial needs of our community. We pay taxes. The Bible calls us to contribute everything that we own, not just money, to the kingdom of God. We also have a responsibility to contribute to the integrity of the community by defending it when, it, when threats come to destroy it. That means that when false teachers come, when teachers get up to open God's word, we are not necessarily ready with a challenge, but we are ready to, to rightly divide the word of truth. If you take the things that I tell you, just hook, line, and sinker, and you don't ever process them yourself and challenge them yourself, shame on you. If I get up in front of, this, in front of you at this pulpit and I begin to tell you how to live your life, and I'm giving you a false gospel, Come and challenge me. 
because I have the responsibility to bring you truth, biblical truth. And if I can't take the case, I can't make the case for what I've told you to be absolutely true, then I'm in the wrong profession. There are many people who occupy pulpits around this world, and they go unchallenged. We have responsibility to all be students of the word. Don't make the mistake of thinking that we are citizens of heaven on vacation away from our homeland. What he's talking about here is he's talking about the, the intentional, purposeful contribution that we are called to make while here on earth. He says we are citizens of God's household. That is, that we've been deployed to recruit others and work, uh, and work to protect the integrity of the mission. You know, after a war is over, the hard work of rebuilding the society takes place. They call it reconstruction. It's a mistake to say that we are behind enemy lines or that the war is still going because the war was over as soon as Jesus died on the cross and he rose again from the grave. The war is over. We're not behind enemy lines. We haven't parachuted in. We're on the winning side. And the best that the devil can do is is conduct guerrilla warfare against us. God has made his presence known and his power complete. We have been called to first establish in our minds that we are exactly who God says we are, secure children of the king, in a fight against insurgents who are using guerrilla tactics to undermine the building of the kingdom of God. Our kingdom, our community, God's kingdom, is secure. But not only is it secure, it's also strong. Look at verse 20. He says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. There's some really important things for us to understand here. That we are part of something that has been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Let me explain that. In the ancient world, when they would build things, they built things out of rock, rock and mud. And where two walls would come together, the weight of both of those walls coming together would be extremely heavy. And so they would cut a stone, a large stone, from the mountain, limestone, granite, something solid, and they would set that on the corners of every single building that they built because of the, of the, the great weight that was going to rest on that cornerstone. The picture that he's painting here is he says, we are in God's kingdom being built into a holy temple. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the rock, the foundation of all of it. So imagine this. You have the cornerstone of Christ, and then you have the, you have the apostles and the prophets on top of that, and then you have the church fathers, all the generations before us, and then others and others, and then now it's us. That God is stacking us together. He is building a monument to his glory. He's building a monument to what he has done. Paul's using this analogy that God's building his kingdom like a massive monument of grace. God made a promise in Genesis chapter 3. He made a promise that as soon as sin entered the world that he was going to fix it. Don't think that God is making lemonade out of lemons. God is not fixing the things that are going wrong. God architected this from the beginning. That he said, this is how it's going to unfold. I'm going to create men, mankind. Mankind is going to rebel against me. And when they rebel against me, I'm going to make them a promise in that moment of their despair that I will fix it. And I'm going to pull together. I'm going to orchestrate all of the events of history for this moment so that I can build my people into a temple a temple that will display the goodness of who I am. And he delivered on that promise through Jesus, through his ministry, and then to the apostles, and then to the church fathers, and then so on and so on and so on from generation after generation until it got to you. Our community is strong, not because we are strong, but because of what we have been built on. Just like those two walls coming together, I want you to think about that everything comes together on Christ. In 1 Corinthians, in the Corinthian church, there was a problem. There was division happening. Some of the teachers were saying, oh, well, I'm a, I'm a, a, I'm a disciple of Paul, or I'm a, I'm a disciple of Apollos. I'm a disciple of John. I'm a disciple of this person or that person, this person. And so they began to try to measure their bona fides against each other. So Paul writes him a letter. And he says, what are you doing? We are all one family. He says, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? Who's John? Nobody. Who's Philip Jackson? Nobody. Who's Taylor Gabbard? Nobody. Who's Michael Gabbard? Nobody. 
Who's Sam Steele? Nobody. We're all nobody. But for Christ. That he builds everything on him. Paul rebukes that church because they have started categorizing each other's godliness by which apostle they've been discipled by. And what does he say? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says this. He says, who, what then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. So that neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now the one who plants and the one who waters are one. But each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Peter uses the same analogy in his letters to the churches. To show that Jesus Christ is the one that holds everything together. So here's, a, here's, a, here's a, an, an important thing for us to under, understand. I'm a former builder, so this is this is something that is that is um, that makes sense to me. If you build something, you have to first have a plan, right? And the bigger the thing, the more important the plan, right? If I'm going to build a little ledge on a tree and call it a treehouse, that's one thing. Nail a couple boards together. But if I'm going to build a mansion, I need to have a plan. I need to know what I'm building. So the question is, why do we still why do we say that we want community and we never look at the plan? Why do we say we want community and we never follow the plan? Why do we say, God, I want deep relationships in my life? And we never follow the prescription of what he's given us to have healthy relationships in our life. God's community is strong because it's built on Christ and it's built on the truth. Jesus uses the analogy in his, in his ministry that the one who builds their life on obeying the commandments that I have given you will be like the man who builds his house on the rock. And then when the winds come and the storms, the storms rage, it will stand. To the one who doesn't obey my commandments, it's like the person who builds their house on the sand. And when the storms come and the wind blows and they rage against you, their life collapses. Because we've built it on lies. The enemy will use anything that he can to convince you that what you are doing is not worth the trouble. Don't follow the plan. The plan's too hard. Oh, man. You can't do this. You failed so many times before. He's going to tell you that you can't be part of something like this because you're too weak or that that God's promises are not for everyone or they're for everyone but for you. But in those moments, I want to challenge you to remember what God has built your life on, the name of Jesus Christ. If you are a child of God, you have what you need to be fulfilled. You will not find it in a job. You will not find it in a relationship. You will not find it in anything that you could hold on to with your hands. Jesus Christ is all of it. So how do we build a godly community? How do we live the year of community? We focus on looking at the building blocks of what God has told us to do. And over the course of the next several weeks, as we're going through this this series on being builders, we're going to look at those building blocks. But you need to understand that there is a plan. There is a blueprint. And if we refuse to build according to the blueprint, our community will fail. Here's another thing that I want you to remember. Is that the community is not just about building something big. I do not care if this room is full of people. I don't care if we fill the sanctuary with young adults. I don't care if we fill the maybe center with young adults. You know how Jesus built a community? With 12 people. You know, just like Pastor said on Sunday, for all intents and purposes, if you look at Jesus, the product of Jesus' life, three years of ministry, he had 120 followers. He really wasn't that successful from the world's perspective. And yet, 
only a few weeks after he goes to heaven, thousands of people come to faith in Christ. It's not about having the biggest army. It's about having the most committed army. Here's what I want for you. I want you to grow. I want you to be builders. Not just building other people. I want you to be building yourselves. The question for 2023 is, how are you growing? Intentionally growing. Not just wafting through life, floating through life. How are you intentionally growing? You know, I presume that many of you know where your weaknesses are, right? Okay, well, what are your strengths? What are the things that God has equipped you to do? What are ways that we can sharpen and strengthen your weaknesses? What are ways that we can sharpen and strengthen your strengths? Have you ever thought about that? Sit down and make a list. Okay, these are the things that I, that I do really well. I'm not talking about product. These are the things that God really does well in my life, that I feel like these are, these are the, the, the good things that God has really done solid work in my life in developing. Okay, what are the things that are always hemming, hemming me up? Lord, mm, I want to be strong. I want, I, want, I want to fix these things. Lord, help me. A building is only as strong as the building materials that are used. Our job is to make sure that we are as quality in building material as possible in order for God's kingdom to be strong because the day will come when the weight of someone else's life is going to be borne on our faithfulness. And we need to be ready. We need to be strong for that. Well, God's community is strong, but it also is holy. Look at these last two verses. Verse 21, he goes and he, he, he continues and he says, Talking about Jesus being the cornerstone, he says, in whom the whole building being joined together is growing into a holy sanctuary in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. In the Old Testament, the people of God built a temple as a symbol of their covenant with Him. Now that kingdom of God, now that the kingdom of God has come, He's building a greater symbol, the symbol of the church. That God is putting together His community. What is, what is the loudest, loudest, most bright, most largest beacon that people can have to see God? It is our community. Jesus said, they will know you by how you love one another. We can, we can fuse that. We say, well, well, he says, people will know you by how you love. Yes, that's true. But how you love other believers. He says that, it is in Christ that the whole building being joined together is growing into a holy sanctuary. Let's talk about that for a second. The church is not just a symbol of God's redemption, but it's also filled with his spirit. You see, the Jews in Ephesus would have understood this reference here. He's referencing in the, in the Hebrew temple, there's a series of courtyards. Okay, And at the center of the temple, there was a, there was a small building called the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies is where the, the, the Ark of the Covenant was, was resided, where it was a symbol of God's faithfulness to the people of Israel over the, over the generations. It was so serious that once a year, according to the law of Moses, a priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would offer sacrifice for the people to atone for their sins. Now, the, here's how seriously God took this. That rabbi would have to be completely clean, clean, ritually clean. He would wear bells around the tassels of his robe so that people could hear him move because the fear was that God would strike him dead. And they would tie a rope around his ankle just in case he died so that they could pull him out without disturbing the Holy of Holies. And he would go in, he would, he would make his way. There was, a, there was a curtain that divided the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple that was three feet thick. He would make his way through the curtain. The entire nation would wait in anticipation. You could hear a pin drop as he offered the sacrifice. He would go in, he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, which is, which is uh, the symbolic throne of God for atonement of the people. And then he would turn, and he would leave the Holy of Holies. And then people would cheer because their sins had been forgiven. When he says that, that we have been joined together in a growing into a holy sanctuary, that same power, the same power 
that resided in the Holy of Holies resides in you. The same power that brought Lazarus from the dead resides in you. The same power that protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire is in you. The same power that brought Jesus back from the dead resides in you. The same power that that caused 3,000 people to come to faith in Christ at Pentecost when Peter preached resides in you. The same power that translated on the spot Peter's language from Aramaic into every known language in the region in that moment resides in you. That is not something to be taken lightly. Now, here's the danger. We take this and we go, oh, man, you know, I've got my superpower. I've got my superpower, so I'm going to do what I want, right? I can do, I mean, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? I can do all things through a verse quoted out of context. That power is connected to holiness. The fancy word is sanctification, to be set apart. Paul calls the church to remember that they are not an extension, they're not just an extension of the family of God. They're being built together into the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. This is a testimony of the transformation that we go through as children of God. We are no longer strangers who are dead. Those who are in Christ bear forgiveness, power, and divine purpose of building relationships with each other. God has given us the privilege of sharing life together. How many times do you look at, at a friend or, or, a, or an acquaintance at church that you, that you know is strengthening your faith and you're thankful for them? How often, how often do you see those people that are spiritual sandpaper that just, hmm, the power of the Holy Spirit, you can love them. How often do you thank them? Thank God for them. That he has chosen to put someone so unique in your life to drive you to the throne of grace. Family, here's something you need to understand. That God doesn't simply want us to get along. He is actively knitting us together into an intimate family. This is why one of the most obvious signs of a genuine faith is a deep love for other believers and an obvious expression of his power. A person who does not prioritize godly relationships will not experience the fullness of what God intends for them. Our priorities must be his priorities. If God wants us to be together, to build community, to sacrifice for one another, that is what we should do. Because the cost of not doing that means that we will not have a community. We'll have a social club. What's going to happen to reach if we don't do this? What's going to happen to reach is that we are going to grow. We might stay the same size. We're going to end up with factions. We're going to end up with people who are at war with one another. Rumors, challenges, accusations, fights, disagreements. We'll just get along. How many of you want to look down the road? Picture yourself. 50 years from now, 50 years from now, sitting in a church pew, pissed off at the world, you got something bad to say about every single person that you see at church. Imagine standing for worship. Instead of having opinions about how great God is in worship, You're full of all kinds of criticisms about the music and the loudness and the style of music, the preaching, what the preacher's wearing. Man. So here's what we're going to do. As soon as I say this, this is going to happen, so i got to be careful. Now, some of you aren't going to want to do this. But God's told me that this is where we've been called to go, so this is what we're going to do. So if you're uninterested in doing this, I can't change that. So, uh, but I need you to know this. That the only person who's going to be holding out and going to be missing out is you. If you want 2023 to change, if you want to grow, if you want to be an integral part of what God is building, I've got a challenge for you. If you don't want to do this, if you want to just come to reach, attend, sing the songs, uh, listen to a message, go home, I can't change that. But I'm telling you right now, 
I'm speaking this right now, that if you do not mold yourself to Scripture, to what God has commanded us to do and who he's commanded us to be, your life will not change. You will stay the same. God is not content to leave you where you are. But you must do a very critical thing. And it is the hardest thing that you will ever do. Humble yourself and obey. Humble yourself and obey. So we're going to focus on learning how to, how to love being built into God's people. It's not about the destination. It's not about finishing, completing the project. It's about learning to be a faithful learner. We're going to do it in a couple of ways. The first, we're going to do it personally. We're going to focus on ways that we can learn personally and grow personally. Galatians 5, 16, and 17 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets itself against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, so that you do not do what you want. Areas of potential growth for you. I want you to ask yourself this question. In what ways are you telling your flesh no? In what ways am I telling my flesh no? Three ways. My body. How am I telling my flesh no? How are you sleeping? Are you able to get up and have spend time in the Word because you're well-rested? Or do you stay up until 3 o'clock in the morning because you're watching Netflix? Stop. Are you, do you feel like crap because you eat like crap? Stop. What ways are you telling your body no? Sin corrupts us in all parts of our nature. Our body is one of the key places that we've got to fight. You cannot have a healthy mind without a healthy body. Ask yourself the question, am I being dumb with my body? If the answer is yes, then stop. Now, if you need help figuring out how to do that, I am here to help you. Taylor's here to help you. There's a number of people here that are here to help you. We are all learning how we're going to do this. So how am I telling my body no? What is one way today that I can tell my body no? Is it going to bed on time? Not watching another episode? Okay? Body is first. Physical health. How am I growing and building strength? Secondly, my soul, my emotional health. We spend a lot of time talking about our feelings but what are we constructively doing to, to rightly divide the word of truth and to transform and to renew our mind, Romans 12, 1 and 2? God's word tells us, commands us, that we need to be healthy in mind. So how are we doing that? Are you intentional about planning, spacing your schedule to spend time with the Lord? Are you spending time with him diligently? One of the things that I have learned to do, that once a month, I take a Saturday morning, and I carve out an extended prayer time. It's a mental health day for me. I do whatever I want by myself. I go hike Turkey Mountain. I go for a run. I go to the gym. I do whatever. I turn my brain off, and I just spend time just focusing on my own mental health. What are ways that you are emotionally healthy? How are you building strength emotionally? For some of you, you don't have any problem checking out. I'm a... I'm a Type A driven person. I love my lists. And so that is, that's a hard thing for me to learn. That was a hard thing for me to learn, but it's an important thing for me to keep. Some of you need to try something hard because you're lazy. Because you'd rather sleep. Or you'd rather do something that is not hard. Hard things are good for you. And if you want to do something hard, we can find something hard. If you're obe- God is going to call you to do hard things. Scary things. And if you're not emotionally healthy, you're not going to be able to do it. So how are you building strength emotionally? Thirdly, in your personal life, how are you building spiritual strength, your spiritual health? Do you know God's word? What are, what are, what are your, your spiritual disciplines? Are you spending time in his word? Do you know what it looks like? Do you, do you know how to read the Bible? Has anybody ever explained to you how the Bible is actually put together? That it doesn't go from chapter 1 to chapter 5,742, it is, it's organized differently than a regular book. Not, by, not chronologically, but by genre. The books are joined together in different ways. Has anybody taught you how to, how to read the Bible? Has anybody ever taught you how to pray? Well, PJ, that's weird. I don't know if it's really hard to pray. You just say, you know, God, I want this, and then say in Jesus' name, and then I'm done. No, 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 no. 
So much more than that. Spiritual health. How's your spiritual health? Be prepared for odd questions from me and Taylor, like, hey, how's your sleep? How you sleeping? How's your diet? How is, uh, how's your soul? How's your heart? What's God teaching you? That should be the easiest question for us to answer. And honestly, it should be the, the, the question that we are most excited to answer. What's God teaching you right now? Oh, my goodness, I'm in the Word. I'm learning this stuff. It may be that you're in the Word. You're like, I learned this, and it's, I don't have anything. This is super frustrating. I need some encouragement. Let us do that. We should be encouraging one another. So if we're intentional about building ourselves and our body, our soul, and our spirit, we also need to be intentional about how we're building our community. Okay? Bear with me. I'm almost finished. First is inside. A strong community starts with quality building materials. So that's personal development. We've already talked about that. Also, how are we intentionally building the outside? We're going to go inside, outside, and upside. Inside is my personal development. Outside is a strong community. What are intentional ways that I can serve others? This can be serving at reach. We, Taylor and I are talking about uh, putting together some more teams for us to be able to find ways for us to serve one another and to be part of what we do on Tuesday nights and also on Sundays. Serving at reach, it could be serving in the church. There are a number of you that serve outside of reach on a Sunday, that serve outside of youth on a Sunday, that you serve in preschool, you serve in children's ministry, or serve in adult ministry. Lastly, if it's inside, outside, and upside, how are we building a strong community that's driven by the singular focus of knowing God and making Him known? If our community is driven by strong building materials here, by strong connections there, how are we developing strong understandings of what the blueprint says? And we're going to do that this year. How are we going to do that? Here's a couple of ways. I've got one last slide up here. There we go. Here's some things that we have intentionally carved out time and budget for. In the first quarter, we're going to have a bonfire with Chick-fil-A. Now, it may not seem like much, but if you've been around me for any, any amount of time, you know that I believe that you get quality time with quantity time, right? So we're going to prioritize quantity time. So we're going to do a bonfire here at the church. Super easy. Taylor and I are going to get some Chick-fil-A for you guys. It'll be super easy, okay? Second quarter, that's, that is uh, April through June. Trivia night. We're going to do a trivia night. Uh, we're also going to do a movie night. Uh, so, like, we're just going to, I don't know if we're going to do Bible trivia or something else. It'll be something for us to be able to spend time together. Remember, quality time. In quality time, we get quantity. Quantity time, we get quality time. Um, quarter three. Now, this has been something I have dreamed about for four years. Okay. Now, picture this. Some of you are not going to be into this. Now, that's cool, right? We'll do something else. We'll, we'll, we'll do games or whatever. They make laser tag equipment that you can rent. What? Okay, you guys are already, okay, now. All right, everybody's freaking out now. Okay, imagine laser tagging the church in the dark. Okay, if anybody gets hurt, not on me. I think that's going to be super fun. And Devin's like, I'm not working that night. Um, we just got to watch Ethan. We got to make sure that Ethan doesn't fall. Hey. Okay. The, we, have, we have our usual, <laughs> one time, we have our usual uh, back to school. I mean, back to school. We're all adults. Uh, there's just any excuse to get together. Swim in a barbecue, uh, either at the Beelers or we're going to find somewhere that will host us. The Beelers are awesome. Uh, but we're going to do our regular swim and barbecue in the summertime. And then reach giving in the Christmas party. And um, these are just fun things that we're going to do. We've carved out time. We've carved out a little bit of our budget to be able to help with these kinds of things. But these are going to be ways for us to get quantity time together. Okay, there's a couple of other things I want you to be thinking about as you are considering how you are going to be building the community, con uh, contributing towards not just us, but the Big C Church. Praying about how you're going to serve at camp, either with students or with children. This is a big deal for us to be able to, to develop relationships with our students because they will be reachers one day. Many of you were in the student ministry when I was helping AJ, and that's how we first got to know each other. And this is a great way for you to be able to develop those relationships so that when they come in, they can, they can immediately get plugged in. Another way that you can serve is in preschool or in children's ministry weekly or on rotation. There are a number of, number of yous. If you don't know Devin, Devin Siegfried is our REACH ambassador to preschool, and Gracie, right here. Um, that, yeah, my sister's like, hey. Um, 
these two, these two are amazing. They love on little children every Sunday. It's awesome. And uh, it's cool because they don't just have influence with those little babies. They have influence with the parents who come and drop them off who are stressed. They develop a warm relationship with those families that are under all of the stresses of life so that they can do ministry to those adult parents. And also, by extension, to their adult grandparents. Generational impact. Another thing that we can do is the adult ministries. Our senior adults do meals periodically throughout the year. They do all kinds of great social events, um, and they need help. Setting up tables, moving chairs, serving food. These are some incredible saints who have done some incredible things for the kingdom who are just awesome people. Judy Spradlin is one of my favorite people. You guys don't even know who Judy is. She is awesome. She's hilarious. There's a way for us to be able to influence the church, building together. And then lastly, serving in missions, both locally and internationally. God's doing some incredible things for us here in, uh, here in Tulsa. Some of you know about a Riverbend community that's just south of us on Memorial, um, that God has, has given us the privilege of influence within that community. We bought, a, we bought a trailer. It's a trailer park. We bought a trailer. We have a family that lives there full time, and they do ministry. Largely Hispanic community that doesn't, most of them don't speak English. And we're beginning to have meaningful gospel conversations with those people, meeting them where they are. That's a local mission that we're doing right now. God's allowing us to do things all over the world. So being involved in things. Here's my point. I'll sum up with this. This year is going to be a challenging year for us. It's going to be a challenging year for me and Taylor as we pray about God, how are we, okay, you've told us to build these things, how are we going to do that? The first step is you need to make sure that you have a relationship with Christ. The second step is you need to be growing in your faith. And the only way that we do that is by radical obedience to the word. And if you don't know how that works, please come talk to me or Taylor. The third thing is that we need to be intentional about getting outside of our comfort zone talking to people that we don't know, and making sure that they feel welcome. Because remember, this is so much bigger than just getting together and singing songs and listening to God's word. I have full confidence that God is going to build this community into something incredible by next January. If you want to be a part of this, let's freaking go. If you don't, honestly, I'll tell you straight. We are going to be moving in a direction. And if you want to stay still, don't get your feelings hurt and don't get upset if people leave you behind. The decision is yours. Who do you want to be? What do you want to build? How do you want to know God in 2023? Hey guys, this is Philip Jackson, pastor of Young Adults at Evergreen Baptist Church. I want to invite you to come to Reach. We meet every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at Evergreen Church in South Tulsa, just east of Mingo on 111th Street. The mission of Reach Tulsa is to cultivate a young adult community that's defined by real transformation and a sincere pursuit of a godly life through training in biblical disciplines, personal development, and intentionally transitioning into independence as mature members of the body of Christ. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe to our content. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Reach Young Adult Ministry is a part of Evergreen Baptist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information and additional lessons, please visit our website, evergreenbc.org.